Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. <laughs> Another beautiful day on the Victor Bravo Golf Course. The sun is shining, the birds are about, and there's a sudden pause in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. 15th hole here, drivers recommended. <laughs> is he a caveman? Because it's suddenly clubbed that one. What do you reckon, George? <laughs> I mean, did he hit that with the dictionary? Because that was a terrible read. <laughs> G'day and welcome. This is Golf. Andrew Dado is my name. Nice to have your company. Have you been to Bonville Golf Club? Have you heard of it? You've definitely heard of it. It's known as Australia's Augusta. It's been Australia's favourite golf course on numerous occasions. It is definitely a destination course. You can stay there. The food is excellent. I think they're one-hatted. And it's run by a guy called Brad Damon. He's the general manager. He's been there since 1992. He came from overseas, like he's from here, from Coffs actually, um, and had a job overseas, really good one, came back and he's been there ever since and has um, in the process become the general manager of Jonas and also Pacific Bay Resort. But today we're talking about Bonville. Bonville. What a place to play golf, Australia's Augusta. And it's a terrific story, how it came to be, his role in the process, and also his role through the game of golf and what he's been up to and what he's done and what he's enjoyed the most. There's a bit of talk about the Masters um, that I think you'll really like. <laughs> it's a great story, a couple of great stories. So let's get to it. Brad Damon, former PGA professional, um, and then he moved into management and golf course management and general management of the great and the wonderful Bonville Golf Course, who are not paying for this, by the way. It's just that I've been there and I loved it. Uh, we started where we always start with, how did you come into the game of golf? How did golf get its tendrils into you? I think dad playing uh, when I was a kid and uh, at four and five years of age, he used to take me out on his Sunday outings with the social club and I'd uh, walk around for the first seven or eight holes and then hang on to the bag while he towed it for the last 10 or 11. So um, that 
got my sort of interest peaked. And then when we moved to Coffs Harbour when I was 12, I joined as a sub-junior and just fell in love with the game. So have you been in Coffs Harbour since you were 12 years old? Yeah, I moved up here when I was 10, yeah, 1976. Wow. And still there? Yeah, I left, uh, was overseas for five years in a, in a period, but came back um, specifically for this role at Bonville. Okay, and, and you were, and so just with your, your life as a golfing professional, how did you go from, you know, being that, being a kid uh, and then yeah. loving or liking the game to actually the game being a really important part of your life? Yeah, I think uh, like a lot of kids in that era, and we didn't have the tuition, the availability of the different types of, you know, trackmen and the video. I think I saw my first video, big camcorder that was about a metre long with a big eye. Yeah. <laughs> When I was about 18. So um, we didn't have the greatest of swings, to be honest. We just perfected by repetition. So we just played and played and played and played, got pretty good and thought, you know, I want to be a golf professional. Greg Norman was the hero of the time. He stopped us from not being cool because you certainly weren't cool when you were a teenager back in the early 80s uh, until Greg Norman came along. And then it became cool to be a golfer. And we didn't have to wear the long socks anymore, pulled up to our knees. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, <laughs> great, the Great White Shark was a great inspiration for many in my year. And so onto a traineeship from there and then a professional and off we go. Okay. I think it's interesting that you remember golf as being not cool. And so what was it like when, if you did love the game, what, what was it about the game that made you really, that drew you to it? I think... It helps if you've got some mates doing it. We had four or five guys that were just extremely passionate about golf. We'd play 54 holes a day, uh, not every day, in the summer school holidays. We'd just go round and round and round and round and round and just playing each other for packets of teas, 20 cents, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to say packets of smokes then. I was almost certain. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit of that too. But, look, it kept us off the streets, the golf, to be honest. It's kept us nice and straight. And uh, uh, it was just competition. Uh, competition with your mates, competition with yourself, willingness to get better. The game of golf is is great for that. And um, it, we all got quite good. In fact, a few of us went on to be PGA members. Did you um, have a go at touring, like a touring player? Yeah, I, I was never good enough, simple as that. And I think where I was really lucky is I recognised it early in the piece. In fact, yeah. Max Garsky, who was the education director of the PGA at the time, he went on to be the CEO. I think I was the ninth out of nine that went through the year I qualified as a trainee. <laughs> Mind you, it started with about 50, so 40 yeah, 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 yeah. cut along the way. But I was definitely ninth of nine. And he said to me, he said, I'm going to be really honest with you. One of the reasons you've got through is because we think you'll make a great club pro. He said, personality-wise, business sense, etc." It was great advice because it made me really think twice about it. And I tried to play for a bit and I just went, you know what? I don't like the lifestyle I mm. as a job. I don't like the individual nature of it. I had the Holden panel van. I sleep in the back and go to pro-ams. I didn't like that. Yeah, uh, I'm a bit of a social animal and that didn't work. And I knew if I was a social animal, that wouldn't have worked either. So I just went, you know what? I've got to find something else. So it was teaching and golf operations that, and I went down that path very early while others were still trying to forge their way. Okay. Um, you said that before that, you know, you remember the – you sorry, you said earlier that you played pre-track man, you know, so you just swing it and just hit it well. Did you think you had a, a good golf swing? Thought I did. Reasonable golf swing until Charlie Earp videoed me for the first time. Yeah. 
and Charlie, he told, he told me to make half a backswing because mine was too long. So I, Charlie Earp, when Charlie Earp spoke, he was Greg yeah. coach. It was at driving range at Royal, uh, practice fair at Royal Queensland. So I've done the half backswing thing and thought I'd done a good job. And he said, do it again. I said half a backswing. So <laughs> did it again, thought I'd done a good job. And he stormed off. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? And he came back with this giant camera with an eyepiece thing. I'd never seen one before. Right. He says, right, now give me half a backswing. Right. So I thought, I'm only going to take this back to knee high. So I did what I was told. And he plays around with the camera, rewound it, brought me over. He said, look in that eyepiece. And I'm looking in the eyepiece and I watch this swing and I go right back to parallel. And then, <laughs> and he just turned around and he said, now come back when you can make half a backswing. Wow. Right. So, so, so if you if you were told as you, as you say you were ninth of the ninth of nine to go through, and and he said you know I think you'd be better as a club pro or in administration, and that's what we like about you. How did that make you feel? Oh, I knew I knew that I wasn't. No, no but like I yeah, I understand that. But I, but did you go? Did you have that sort of? You know, uh, uh, you prick. No, no, mate, I was happy to get through. And, and look, I knew it was tight. And um, in my era, we had guys like Peter Lonard and Kenny Trimble. Ken was probably the best of us. He was a little bit older. He'd, he'd already had he's some silky skills, that man. And then Peter Lonard just got better and better and better along mm. the way. So there was some pretty good talent in our year. Um, and it was obvious to me that I wasn't in that same league. So that was that was fine with me, and I I liked the challenge then of making golf um, business my life. Okay, and what is it about the golf business that you're drawn to? Well, I think because then I can have my love of the game as a game. Okay, as I, said, I didn't like it as a job, but I love it as a game. I love the nature of golf. It brings out the best and worst of people. It's it's a reflection of people's personality. I love the camaraderie, playing with your mates. I love going – I love that we can go away and play other golf courses. It's not like going away – for someone going away to play tennis, yes, you might go from a hard court to a clay court or something like that, but the court's <laughs> the same size. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting analogy because it's, it is – you're basically playing the same game on the same-ish mm. surface. Somewhere else. Yeah. Maybe the pub's different. Maybe that's the lure of, you know, going <laughs> – yeah, possibly. But I, I just love that, and I travelled quite a bit around the world, and just made it my goal to play every one of the best golf courses I could. And you know, I'm just glad you know to have ever met the game of golf uh, okay. to have those opportunities. So you've just been away for a golf trip now, mm. and so what's we're getting to Bonville, I promise, because the Bonville story is great. How is your golf now? Are you still a scratch player? Are you <laughs> five? Are you you're getting closer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I play off six now. Um, I actually retired from the PGA to become an amateur again back in about 2004. Once I realised it was definitely management my pathway, I, I had very fond memories of being a PGA member. I was 18 years a PGA member and I was um, the inaugural Club Pro of the Year for Australia in 98, Club Pro of the Year for New South Wales in that year, plus 99 and 2000. And then I decided to retire from being a pro because I just felt I'd achieved everything I could in that sphere and I didn't want that to get in the way of my management. I didn't want to be known as a, about my golfing prowess. I want to be more known than going forward about in management. management. So, And, and you I have managed to – and you've definitely branched your management into – well, with Jonas, for instance. 
you know, so which is you know one of Sydney's best restaurants. So there's a, you've certainly broadened that. So Club Pro of the Year for Australia and New South Wales on two or three occasions. What was it about what you were doing that made you so successful? I think Bonville was new, a new way to look at golf. We had places yeah. like Corralbin back in the day. You know, I'm talking about wow factor properties. Um, you've got places. What was that one? Corralbin. Corralbin. So I've never heard of Corralbin. Isn't that oh, interesting? Really? Yeah, really? sorry. Um, west, <laughs> west of the Gold Coast at uh, Bow Desert. Okay. It's called Corralbin International. was born, uh, designed by a guy called Desmond Muirhead. And this was a wow factor golf course. And back in the early 80s, it was a treat, late 70s, early 80s. It was a treat to go there. It was golfing Nirvana. And it was very different from club golf. We hadn't really seen resort golf in Australia. And those resorts that were getting built, I'm thinking of places like Royal Pines, Palm Meadows, they were exciting, but yeah. they didn't have the wow factor that Corralbin had. So that's what Queen's Is, Co- is Corralbin still there? It is, but it's not. It's, uh, as I understand it, it's in quite good condition, but not what it was back in yeah. the day. Um, and it's a lot more than just a golf course these days. It's a full resort operation. So, and, and the mystique then was it was the only one too, whereas there's a lot more similar now. And then the national old course came alive, um, and the old course at the national, as you know, is yeah. also what I would call a wow factor type golf course. Um, Joondalup in Western Australia come along. It had wow factor. And Bonville was the first in New South Wales that I believe had the real wow factor and yeah. wasn't linked to membership per se. It was more come and try this. And it was relatively new to people back in the early 90s to do that. And we we had carts as compulsory and we used to get critiqued. It was like, how dare you? Why can't I walk? And all this sort of thing. <laughs> you said, come and try it out and you'll work out why you want a cart. <laughs> Correct. And so we, we were going in that path of making golf exciting. And so I think – it was new also for a club pro to have his own business in a resort-type environment like that. Normally, it would be owned by the golf course. And so we were, I guess, cutting edge at the time yep. and um, setting some new standards and changes in golf and creating you know, different feels about the game of golf and what people could do. And I guess we're at the forefront of that type of thing in some of the events we used to run. So okay. Well, before we get to the before we get to those, because I know there's a really quite an interesting story around that, and women and carts, and um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> pretty difficult time for you. Um, how did Bonville come to be? I know you were overseas at the time. I was in Switzerland, beautiful Switzerland, which I still love, and I'm going back to later this year for the first time in 32 years. So I was there. I was running a golf facility in Switzerland, just a nine-hole facility with a driving range, and. Um, I got a phone call saying there was no mobiles then. It was 1991. Mm. So, you know, they built this course back in your hometown. It's really special. Here's some – we'll send you some photo clippings from the newspaper. Do you want to come back and be the, uh, the head pro? And I sort of thought, well, if it's as good as what they're saying and it's in my backyard, it might not be smart to turn that offer down. Uh, and even though I was really loving what I was doing in Switzerland, I was about to go to a new job down the road in France, just over the border, I uh, came home and had a look and just fell in love with it in October 91 and it opened on January the 3rd, 1992. Okay, so when, so what was the story of, um, of Bonville? How did it, like yeah. I, we've had 10, I've had Ted Sterling on the podcast yep. and he talked about his co-designer yep. um, and he said it was just an amazing time of, you know, tractors and yeah, let's chuck one over there and let's knock that down, you know, so it sounded like a really amazing 
process? What, what's your understanding of it? Well, and for that process, they got a hell of a lot right, considering the way it was built in those days. Um, but, yeah, they had a map with first hull of Augusta on the left page and first hull of uh, Bonville sketched on the right page. First hull of Augusta, 360-metre dogleg right, will make the first hull at Bonville, 360-metre dogleg right. Never mind that the topography is slightly different and the bunkers on the other side and we got water on our hull and they don't. You know, we're getting there. So off they right. And like he said, as I understand it, they were just – it was a tree plantation. You couldn't see more than 20 yards in front of yourself because of the trees and bush. So they would carve out a hole and try to work out where to from here. And there might be no way of sort of starting another hole in the near vicinity. So they'd map out where another hole would go and then off they'd go again. And, and how, how did they do that, Brad? How did they, like, when they try and work out where the next hole would be? Was it a matter of just slogging through the, the oh, they, undergrowth? And- they mapped down, just worked out so they didn't have big drop-offs and that it would work sort of thing. They were, they had, there was a science to it, but at the end of the day, it created all these 18 separate holes and you get a hole like 18 at Bonville. It's mapped on the 15th at Augusta and both par fives over a rise, down a hill, water in front of the green, very similar. So they did get a lot of things in similarity to Australia's Augusta, which is what the Japanese developer wanted. He wanted Australia's Augusta. Okay. Yeah. So it was a Japanese developer. Is that Now, is that Japanese developer still involved? No, they sold out in 1998. Yeah. Um, and it's been in the same ownership basically since then. So, no, I don't know the answer to this. Was it, was it one of those things where someone did their nuts as the saying goes the first one does the nuts and usually it's the third one who makes all the money but I mean clearly it's very successful now so did the develop the third the Japanese developer have a hard time of it and then it got it got it right yeah they did have a hard time of it and um, you know they, they worked really hard trying to make it work but um, they just had the wrong models and it was a challenging environment back then um, and uh, both in the economy and golfing space and not as many people interested in travel so we were trying everything to make it happen, uh, but we couldn't make it happen for them. And so, yeah, I think it was just get out while they could and um, hand it over and see what somebody else can do with it. Okay, but you were there from the very beginning in, in, in that sense of it. So how did you manage to actually stay in? Because I'm guessing if it, the, if it didn't work with the first bloke, then the second bloke's probably going, uh, g'day, Brad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, no. uh, how are you going? <laughs> Well, you're right, and it was my pro shop, my business, and I was driving it, and I think they could see my passion and enthusiasm, and I didn't have much of a say under the Japanese ownership. It's really structural, top to bottom, and you don't get much of a say. Um, So it was a challenge. Those first lovely people, but a challenge to make it work. So the new owners came in, and they watched for a while, and um, then we sat down and had a chat, and they ended up um, buying me out of that business and installing me as the general manager in... 2001. Okay, so what was the move like for you then to go from running the shop and being still actively, actively golf-inspired to then then taking a step back and running the whole business? I wanted to do it. I, okay. I had seen for eight, nine years how it had been done and I just felt I could make a difference in that environment. I was only making a difference in the golfing space but not in the overall space of Bonville. And so I really did want to make a difference. So what is it about the course, first of all? I think the course, 18 individual holes, all memorable. 
Um, even when you're having a bad day, you get to the 15th or something, oh, I've only got four holes to go, come try and bring it in. Um, you'd never bore, never get tired of playing a course like this with the challenges and excitement of each, the wow factor. I, I've yeah. always said it like it's taken a long time for people to really, uh, over the years, to gain the, the, the sort of want to play with wow factor. And now today, that's what most golfers are looking for. Um, yeah, and all new people to the game. They're, they're, it's and we'll look at live. They're looking for a bit of excitement, a bit of wow factor. Okay, and so w- w- what is the wow? Is it the views? Is it the drop-offs? Is it the yeah. water? Is it the kangaroos? Yeah, the perch swimming in the beautiful, clear, crystal creeks. It, it's all that, and that it's done on a daily basis for 365 years, providing the best product you can, so that you've got exactly that beautiful cut fairways. You know, elevation changes, big greens, big breaks in the greens, um, a lot of beauty, um, beautiful gardens surrounding the golf course, and just a vibe that just feels special out there. Okay. Well, how many how many rounds do you guys do a year? We put through 28,000 roughly on average a year, which is well down on what we could. We yeah. choose to put through 28,000 a year so we can, once again, create good experiences, not be a golf factory. Okay, and have you ever thought, like, you know, I've done this here, I, I might try somewhere somewhere else, like have my expertise tested for a second time? Yeah, look, I think at the end of the day, you always consider options in your life, but I've had lots of options put in front of me here. As yeah. you said, like I said, pro Jonas. For, yeah, pro for nine years, then GM for nine years, as we were incrementally improving the property every year. Then the option to take over as general manager at Jonah's Restaurant Boutique Hotel on the northern beaches of Sydney. And then nine years later, um, the opportunity now to take over also Pacific Bay Resort back in 2018 on the northern side of Coffs Harbour. So I now oversee three properties. So my roles are varied and, you know, I bleed Bonville at the end of the day and that's where we yeah, are yeah. in my office. But I base from here and oversee those, those three properties. And so I think the growth, the change, the opportunities, and, you know, we've got a real estate program yet to deliver here. We've got movie studios yet to deliver at Pacific Bay. So you don't tend to look elsewhere when you've got so much to look forward to yeah. and you're really passionate about what you do. And does every year sort of start, reset to zero and go, okay, well, we did that this last year, so let's let's just kick it up another notch this year? Not so much like that. I don't sort of look at it that way. It's just, I think, what I said before, the incremental improvements, we, when, when, the owner bought the property um, in 1998. We sat down. There was two owners at that time. It was Peter Montgomery and John Dunnigan, his American business partner. And when they bought it, we sat down and listed 200 things that could improve at Bonville at that time. Literally 200 things? Yep. Yep. And we prioritised. And we just worked our way through that list. And I remember some of those early priorities, some of them were big priorities and big, big tasks. The Greens were a real problem back in 1998, completely inconsistent and the one thing holding us back. So when you say it's 200 problems and only one of those 200 was the Greens, you know, yeah, that's wow. a long way to go. So we worked our way through and now I'm really proud that we still sit down and, and look at all our problems and prioritise, but the problems are 10 or 15 problems and the priorities are a lot smaller than what they were back then because we, we just keep going. There's no real stop, just incremental improvements and when you make them keep the improvements, it's really important not to just let it deteriorate again, whatever yeah, it is. We, yeah, we fixed those greens up. Yeah. Uh, 
in 2003, and yeah, yeah, I understand. No, they've been good. They've been good for a long time. They're yeah, yeah. We just had the women's classic over the weekend, and they're running at a great speed, consistent. And I'm really proud of the job the boys do out there. With it, um, with the tournament golf there. So Bonville, if you haven't been to Bonville, if you were to walk it, like what is the dis- What would you? What distance would you actually walk? If a normal golf course, you would probably walk ten to twelve k's. What would you actually have to walk if it was? Walking yeah. Bonville. Well, the golf course and the cart paths combine for about 11.6 yeah. kilometres. So it's 11.6 in a perfectly straight line. So six kilometres of golf course and five kilometres of cart path effectively on yeah. top of that. So whatever you would on a normal golf course, add five kilometres. Yeah, but it's not up and – it's not like flat. It's no. up and down and You're up either, and down. Yeah, 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 there is a lot of elevation change. But, and so with the um, – I know it wasn't the PGA, but the – would it be the LPGA? Yeah, this was Women's PGA and um, also Golf New South Wales. And the previous four years, it's been Ladies European Tour. But this year, we didn't do that. We will go back to that next year. Okay. So what happened the first time when they said, you know, you, sorry, ladies, you're walking Bonville. Tell us the uh, story of what happened then. It was, a, it was a late call from Ladies European Tour to say we'd like to run an event at your course. Um, we haven't got time to come and do a recce. Can you send us details and, you know, can the players walk it? And, well, the answer's got to be yes. If the answer's no, we don't get the event. So we looked and said, how do we make the answer yes? And it was like, well, we'll ferry them between holes. So we went back and said, yes, they can walk and we'll provide cart ferrying between, which they okay. do a lot of different tournaments between a few holes, maybe two or three. Yeah. But we had to do it between about eight holes to join them up. And it was a hell of a plan to make work. But when they got here and they're having practice rounds, the reality hit in that this was going to be a real challenge to walk even with the ferrying because of the steepness and some of the other distances. And I must thank Dame Laura Davies because she's the reason why. Yeah, what did she do? <laughs> I think Dame Laura went to the boss of the LET, JP, and said, I'm not playing tomorrow and nor are some of my fellow players if we have to walk because they just... Okay. They just ridden in carts in the pro am. Right. Wow. Yeah. So how does the change that? I mean, like, I think it's interesting you say that you said, yeah, of course you can walk because we can get the tournament. How often have you put yourself in a situation where you've sort of been able to promise something, but in the back of your mind going, yeah, <laughs> it should that's, work. That's management, right? And then you got yeah. to deliver, but um, but you got to deliver, and that's the end of the day. No good, you know. I'd rather under-promise and over-deliver it, obviously. So we, I knew it could be done because we had done it before with a Jack Newton event we run called the Champions Trophy. So I, I knew we could make the walk thing happen. It was just a big challenge because there's a lot of cart ferrying and it's a lot of volunteers and everything else. So, But I was really pleased when Dame Laura did that and uh, <laughs> I actually thought it was going to cause a big problem, but European Tour asked the question, could we do it with everyone having their own cart? The answer was yes. Yeah. So off we went and... Then I asked him at the end, I said, what happens next year now that this has happened? And he said, well, it's locked in now. You've you've broken the mould, so yeah. it worked. So we'll do it that way every year. And and was there any pushback from the, any of the players or certainly not the spectators, but sort of the upper level of, of women's golf going, by God, soon they'll be wearing short socks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think thankfully, and you've seen it, I'm sure, you know, it's been exponential, the change in golf over the last few years. And this is just one of those changes to make golf um, more inclusive, more fun, um, not so stuffy. 
uh, and more enjoyable. And, and look, that's been the success of Bonville since 1992. I think the real world of golf's only getting it in the last five or so years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't think it was a big problem. And has that been part of your plan is to, to, to try and friendly, friendlify golf to, to make it more accessible for lots and lots of different people? Yeah, definitely. And we used to do that with all our different events we ran and fun corporate days and that, trying to introduce people to golf because you knew that if they had a go and they didn't feel intimidated, they could actually get hooked pretty quickly. Yeah. So that's been a big part of, you know, getting people away, having fun with the game rather than being too serious. But then if you look at Bonville, for instance, which is a really challenging golf course, I mean, it doesn't matter how you look at it, it's a really challenging course, and you say you make it accessible and, and make the game fun, it's a really hard course to have deep fun if you're hitting it 30 metres side. For, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do. Um, so how do you, what do you do? How do you well, do we, it? We're one of the first to adapt to changing all the tees, for example. So we don't have red, whites and blues anymore. There's black orange, maroon, grey and aqua. They're 400 metres apart, those tees, slope rated, and you can play off whichever ones you like in a comp. I've got members playing, two might go off the grey tees, two will play off the maroon tees. They're absolutely loving it. The feedback is phenomenal. From the older members, our rejoinings just come up. I've had two or three mentioned to me that they weren't going to rejoin because they're getting that age and they're starting to struggle. But when they can play off the tee that suits their game better, they're just absolutely loving it. So things like that make even a course like Bonville that you say can be difficult. Um, at the same time, I look at it, and the members, i got to say, they know it well. Their fairways are actually wider than most. Yeah. Um, are they? They actually are. It's just <laughs> I've only played there twice, so. Yeah, you see the big trees, though, and that narrows your, your thinking. You know, you think you've got a pathway like this, but they're actually wider than most, and there's always a safe side to hit the ball. And on the par threes, on the edge of – on one side of the green, there's always a bank. That you can play to, so as you get to know Bonville, you realise, hey, this isn't this isn't very hard, and the locals find it not so hard. Okay. Still a good challenge, but not so hard. But I think doing things like that with the tees and encouraging people to play, not just come away and say, let's just play off the back and play stroke. Yeah, you know, yeah. Encourage them to go and have a two-man Ambrose or something, two-person Ambrose. Like, it's, break it up a little, and they do that and go, hey, that, gee, that That's was fun. fun, you know. Huh? What? That was fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And and how 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 responsible are you for those for in that process? Oh, it's part the whole team work in the same okay. way of thinking. Yeah. Um. So in that sense, if someone's going to go and visit Bonville, how should they prepare? And and I guess you could put this across lots of golf courses you're going to play that you haven't played before. How should you prepare for Bonville? Uh I think at the end of the day, just bring a smile and so that you come through the gates, you just relax the moment you come through the gates because you realise you're somewhere special, you get yeah. far away and just know that it's not just about the golf either and that's what a lot of our guests realise, it's about the overall experience. It's what happens when you come in is it's friendly, it's genuine um, and I say that the regions can be just a bit more genuinely friendly I think at times, it's not so fast paced. People don't have to come in worried about their booking Worrying about their tea time. Have you got it? Is everything okay? Do we have to hurry up? Everything's a bit more relaxed. And yeah. we're only putting through the amount of rounds we are, you're making plenty of space, 10-minute intervals, gaps between groups. You're just making sure they're enjoying all of that, a good night's sleep right on the first fairway, excellent food and beverage operation. Yeah, the food is excellent. So, so you, you just take in the whole thing and it's, you know, and the, what I get out of the people when they leave, the amount of times that people stop me 
and say, can I just tell you something? They don't want to tell me about the golf course. Yeah. One of two things. They'll either say two words, which is your staff are amazing, like just your staff, they say, or the food here was unbelievable, you know. And right. so isn't that funny that they came to Bonville for the wow factor of the golf course, but the thing that surprises them is the overall experience they have. Mm-hmm. And that's when I know we're winning. Okay. Let me ask you that same question again from a golfing perspective. Because that all makes perfect sense, right? But from a golfing – so if you say the locals who play there, they go, it's actually quite easy because they know that there's a bank on this side. And So can you can you set yourself up to play there before getting there? Andrew, it's actually not a long course. So I think the main thing is not to feel like you've got to come and overpower it with the driver. Um, you've got the GPS in the carts with the visage. You can look and see, okay, I only need to hit it 200 down the first. I don't need to try and hit it any further than that. That sets that up. So I think that all helps is just it's more about not trying to overpower the golf course and then also just getting used to the fact that because our greens had a lot of movement in them, they're actually quite slow on an uphill putt and quite quick on a downhill putt. And if you go out there with that in mind straight away and just adapt to that, straight, that helps. And then finally the elevation changes. Any shot that's uphill, whatever club you think you're going to hit, just take one more. And so if you have that sort of mentality to the golf course, I think you go pretty well. They're sort of like rules for life really, aren't they? <laughs> You're like, that's just not Bonville. That's every – it's like below the hole, take yeah. one more up. That's really good advice. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's – I guess it's the same everywhere to a degree, but I just think many people get you, – you touched on it. You said the fairways are – you said, really, really, they're wider? Because, yeah, yeah. Because of the trees. People see that and they might freeze – because they see tall trees and it makes the fairway look small because the trees are so tall. But the fairway is 35, 40 metres wide. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, listen, is there, have you had one moment in the game of golf and everything that you've done that surpasses all else? Yeah. Very quickly, three very quick ones, all of them different. One as a player, playing Augusta. Yeah. Playing and staying on site. Um, I'm looking at the scorecard on my wall up here. Shot 78 in the second round. First round was 80, so that card was never going up. Bogeyed the last two holes. Hang on. So you played all, you played the Masters? No, no. not the Masters, just Augusta. Okay. Yeah. Played it in December 02. Um, okay. So I was going to say. Yeah, playing there, staying on site, waking up. And I think the highlight, yeah, was waking up and realising I was – I'd slept the night at Augusta and I was still at Augusta and sort of pinching myself that we're going out for another game. So what's that experience like? Like, how, um, how are you treated? How are you? First class. 
Yeah. On the way in, the guy I was playing with said, every moment on the property, every minute, it just keeps getting better. And I didn't know what he meant because I was just thinking, I just want to get on the golf course. But from the driveway to the caddies coming out in the overalls on the practice fairway to meeting your caddy, and mine was called Paul Baby. And Paul what ba- was it? Paul Baby. <laughs> Paul Baby. Paul Baby was – his real name was Arnold. He caddied Seve back in the Masters when they used to have to have the local caddies. And Paul Baby's one of the originals like Stovepipe and a few others there. And so I was blessed to have him for the, the two days. And um, just – I can still remember almost everything he said all the way around, all the different comments, some amazing comments. Yeah. And uh, willing you on to be as good as you could be on the day. Um, so the golf – the so is that, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Brad, um, but is the is part of it then? Like, were you more interested or as interested in talking to him oh, yeah. about what he knows about the course as you are with your playing partners? Oh, no, hundred percent. I'm stuck with the caddy. Every time I go to America, if you get a good caddy at one of those top courses, I just want to hear the stories. You know, yeah. so I can't help but I get very engaged in, in that. And, and poor baby's the best and most experienced and you know unique caddy I've ever had in my life. Uh, and don't forget, we don't. We really have a caddy in Australia, so it's a rare experience to start with. So when that caddy tells you, like, he can make you believe you can do things you probably can't. Yeah. They, they did, you know, you realise this guy's caddied for Seve and then uh, – And the f- – and sorry, and the food, like the food and the com Everything. Like, are, are, the, are the beds extra spongy? Are the dunas extra fat? All that. The- all that. And, uh, and like I said, just waking up and realising I'm at Augusta. Yeah. And I went to breakfast and I thought they hadn't given me a menu. They said, what would you like? And I said, oh, um, is there a menu? And they said, oh, look, sir, I think you can have anything you'd like. You know, yeah. like there's no menu. Just you tell us an order and we'll go and make it for you. And whether that was Vegemite on toast, porridge or grits or whatever it was, <laughs> yeah, we're going to do it. Yeah. Okay. And who, who did you go there with? That Just was, a mate. Well, it was with we, – we were hosted by Bill Gary, who's a member, uh, who's since passed. And um, – but it was the – other owner here at the time. So this, in 1998, we just delved back very quickly. Peter Montgomery and John Dunnigan bought the property. They were two, um, their first business buy together. Uh, John was from America and Peter's an ex-Olympian, four-time representative in water polo. And um, between the two of them, that they arranged for me to get that game at uh, Augusta with John uh, and with Bill Gary and one of John's friends um, that joined us that day or those two days. Right. So both owners have got a lot to thank for because it was going to be Peter who went, but he'd already yeah. played it and he was up in Tokyo doing some Olympics business. Uh, so, yeah, I, I will be forever in their debt. Yeah, I know people who have been there for as media for the Masters and they have a ballot and some yeah. people get to play and and apparently it's just, you know, the be- and the caddies are a huge part of the story. So they are. right. Yeah. So that's one. So that's one thing you've got to, if you can get a chance, play Augusta, yeah. Oh, play Augusta. Look, the reality is it's going to get harder and harder to play because everybody wants to do it, right? So yeah. it's going to get harder and harder. But to go to the Masters, even though it's an expensive cost, I just suggest everyone does it once in their life as a bucket list. Okay. So that's one. The other two very quickly have nothing to do with me playing golf. One is when our owner, Peter, played with Tiger in the 2009 Pro-Am before Kingston Heath, where it was when Tiger, just before his life erupted, mm. uh, a week later. Mm. Uh, Tiger was at the peak of his powers and was just phenomenal to roll in that bubble at Kingston Heath in a Pro-Am amongst 20,000 people. And my job was to simply caddy for the owner. He yes. had a great day. He's off 23 and had three birdies. He's never done that. He hasn't had three birdies in a year and he had them in one day. Yeah. So, 
That was quite amazing. Hey, so did Tiger go, seriously, 23? Seriously? Oh, he did. Yeah, it was, it was a little <laughs> bit of that. But he didn't mind because they won the Pro-Am and, and Tiger hadn't seen that nine holes at Kingston Heat. And the night before, the betting had Tiger at $2.20 to win the tournament against the field at $1.80. And we were at a dinner and got asked who, you know, which was the way to go. I said, oh, you'd have to back the field. You'd have to back the field because Tiger hadn't really done that well in Australia when he'd come out in 98, I think it was, at Huntingdale. The greens are a bit firmer, hard to read, and didn't, you know, had never seen the courses. Not so much target golf, narrow fairways, hard, fairway, like bit of run. Yeah. So I'm thinking, no, 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 the field, someone in the field will get him. And after we played in the Pro-Am and he's five under through eight and cruising and he's got the stinger going with the iron has gone as far as anyone's driver and he just had it in play perfect. I just turned around and I said, don't bother about the field. No one's going to beat him. Like, he can't be beaten. And just remind me, did he win that tournament? He did. He stumbled in the third round. I think he had a busy night on the Saturday night from Merit. Yeah. That was part of the problem, wasn't it? Uh, maybe. Hey, yeah. uh, and so what was it? <laughs> right. Well, you, hang on. You were there for the Pro-Am. You were there for the – or maybe you were. Jeez, now this is a good story. Mm. Hey, did, did you have any dealing with Tiger then in that round or – Oh, we spoke the whole way around. He was just so yeah, right. natural, so friendly with Steve. It was just the four caddies, the four players, just rolling down the fairway, chatting in a bubble with thousands, oh, you know, 10 deep on every hole in a pro-am, helicopters above. It was nuts. Right. Yeah. But good nuts. Oh, it was just, mate, as I said, like, so really weird that in my top three experiences in my life, one of them was being a caddy. Yeah, yeah. But it was with Tiger, you know. Did you? Did Tiger's caddy give you any... Uh that, like, did you go, now listen, the best player in the world can't hit this shot. Tell me you said that no, to Peter. He, that would be hilarious. Well, as I said, Pete had three birdies, which was insane. And one of them, the first hole, Kingston Heath, long par four. Second hole, they put in a par three cross-angled to that. It was a new hole. And no one had, none of them had played it. Steve hadn't seen it. And Peter's hit this great five on to ten feet, but it's straight above the hole, straight downhill. And I'm looking at it trying to work out how much left to right this putt is. And I call Steve in because Tiger had not done so good on that hole as a team event. And I looked at it and I'm thinking it's either left lip or cup outside the left lip. And I asked, I didn't tell him. I said, what's this doing? And he's had a look and he's just gone, right edge, don't give the hole away. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, I know he hasn't seen this green. I reckon he's got it wrong. So Peter says, well, what what do I do? I said it. It's right edge, don't give the hole away. <laughs> so he taps this putt straight down the slope at the right edge and it's going down towards the hole. I'm watching, I'm waiting for it to feed away and it just hung on, hung on, hung on and fell in the right edge, just like wow. Steve said. And you, wow. just, you think you can read a green. Like I didn't think I needed any help apart from how much break left to right. Yeah. Totally, totally just. Interesting. Yeah. So that was. All right. And you're you number three? Uh, being there with Adam Scott won the Masters because that – so that was the first time I'd gone to watch the Masters. I played Augusta in 02. We went in 2013 uh, with Luke Roberts from Club Car and a host of others. There was five or six of us. It was the greatest trip. And Peter was with me then. The owner of Bomb came with me then too as part of that. And we had just the great time. And, yeah, we were there when he held what we thought was the winning putt in um, in normal time on 18. And actually, Biz Sattler was there from Barn Boogle as well. She was beside me. I, I think I launched her in the air because we're all so excited that yeah. this had happened finally. And we were there to see it. And then Cabrera from down the bottom of the hill in the wet stumped it to two feet to take it to a playoff. And we thought, 
it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. It's going to have it stolen from them, you know. And then we were there to watch uh, 18, the playoff. And I don't know if you remember, but they both come up short of the green. They had the chip. And Cabrera's, I don't know how his chip didn't go in. He, if you watch it again, you just cannot believe the chip didn't go in. And Scotty hit it to four feet. And I said to Pete, come on, we'll go over to the 10th tee for the next hole. He said, don't you want to see him hit the putt? And I said, no. I said, if he gets it, great. We've we got another playoff hole. But if he yeah. misses it, I don't necessarily want to see it. You know, I want to see the tee. So we stood at the tee box on 10 so that they had to come over and put their ball two metres in front of us to hit off. And, you know, <laughs> Scotty smashed a three wood and Cabrera hits that driving iron of his and shapes one around the corner about 260 metres or something. Like it was just unreal. Yeah. Great to be there. Yeah, fantastic. All right, listen, Brad, we'll leave it there. Um, great memories. Who's the, Sorry, one last thing. Who's the best player who's come through Bonville? Wow. Question off the cuff. There's been so many. Mate, I, I'm going to talk about a local uh, by the name of Paul Sheen because I helped him early in his career when he was 15, 16, and then he became a far better player than I, and he suddenly was someone better than anyone else I'd coached. So it was time to bump him off to better and I think Alex Mercer took over the reins from there and then been others since. And Paul Sheen uh, went on to win in Japan a couple of times, won Japan Open, the Saru Open, he won Jacobs Creek, won Victorian Open. Um, and so to watch someone do that who was going around here nine under constantly and he'd go around Coffs Harbour Golf Club uh, to nine under. So I'm going to say him, even though there might be better supposed golfers, yeah. Paul, for me, was the best that went through here and, and a pure gentleman to go with it. Okay, and the one thing that amateur golfers should try and keep in mind when they're playing? It's fun. Okay, apart it's from it's fun. No, it's camaraderie. Just remember why you're playing golf. It's, it is for the camaraderie. Don't take it too seriously. You're not going to play good every time you go out. Yeah. Just say it. So play play forward if you can. Um, play games that are more fun. Don't just think it's all about stroke and everything else. Yeah. Uh, so you can enjoy the moment. Sorry, mate, it's that simple. No, no, it is. No, it is genuinely that simple. That's the one thing I think we always say to each other is that, mate, you're an amateur goal. You know, when someone's holding the club up back like this, getting ready to helicopter, it's just going, I, 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 it's amateur golf. Don't worry about it. We're just, yeah. this is who we are. So yeah. good advice. Hey, listen, great storytelling and, um, and great stories. So, Brad, thank you very much for your time. Um, and I'm going to guess you're going to be at Bonville for a whole lot longer. So definitely worth sort of looking you up and saying good day. Yeah, there's more to be done, mate. There's more to be done. Good work. All right, well, I look forward to getting out there again. Thanks, Brad. Cheers. So that's Brad Damon, GM from Bonville since 1992. And what stories, what a life he's had. Amazing. Golf. How good is the game of golf? And it just offers us so much. We'll have more on the Golf Podcast. If you've got a story you want to share or you know someone who's amazing and they should be here, let me know. Just contact me at, I don't know, on Messenger, whatever it is, at Andrew Datto. Thanks again for listening. I really appreciate your time. And I'll see you next time on Golf. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.